unsurprising that the COVID-19 pandemic has been the catalyst for change in education. And today I'll introduce you to another educational changemaker, Peter Phillips, who has taken a vision shared by his co-founders and started a learning revolution in Bali, Indonesia. Open Flow Learning Centre. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in, and join us on this next adventure. Before I start today, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Kabi Kabi and Gubby Gubby people. We honour their songlines and storylines and pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which you are listening to this episode. Hello and welcome back to the Raising Wildlings podcast for 2022. It has been a really rough start to the year so far and as a result we're starting to get a lot of inquiries about our programs and also about homeschooling. So as most of you know Nikki and I homeschool our children and specifically if we were to put some sort of label on that we align closest to unschooling or can be called self-directed education and obviously wild schooling. So at the end of last year, we decided to collect all of the resources that we've had and we've done a lot of the research for you. If you were interested in homeschooling, if that's something that's been on your mind, but you actually just need a little bit more information and to, to wrap your head around what it will actually look like for people who are actually doing it, um, the legal requirements and talking through like common fears and misunderstandings because homeschooling is a really, really fantastic alternative for so many families and the homeschooling community is growing at an exponential rate at the moment throughout Australia. It is a valid educational option. So we have collated these resources for you in a webinar series on our website. We have resources on introduction to homeschooling in general, so the legislative requirements, what it could look like, um, how we socialise children, all of those things are a part of that series. But if you are also interested in the more specific philosophies on wild schooling or unschooling, we also have a webinar series on each of those as well. If you do need that little bit more support or get that clear understanding or have something that you can share with your partner, you can jump onto our website at wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash homeschooling dash webinars. And you can find out more about this amazing, amazing educational philosophy that so many people are successfully living, this lifestyle that we're living. And um, you can join us for more of the fun. But on today's episode, I am talking with Peter Phillips, who's on a joint venture to reimagine education as the co-founder of a niche international learning centre in Bali, Indonesia. The Open Flow Learning Centre co-curates education for children and adults, celebrating curiosity on a planet filled with wonder and awe. 
It's a philosophy that's deeply rooted uh, in the place-based approach to learning and it draws on many different educational approaches centering that self-directed learning for children. And I'm so excited to introduce to you today, Peter Phillips. So Peter, thank you so much for being on the podcast today, coming all the way from Bali. Is that correct? That's true. Yeah. You can probably hear the roosters crowing in the background from time to time here. Oh, that's, that brings me back. I've, I've been to Bali a couple of times. In fact, um, all, all on my dad's side of the family, I have um, Balinese cousins and have um, spent, spent a little bit of time in Bali. So um, it must be a, a beautiful place to be delivering an education program. I'm so excited to talk to you about that. Were you born in Australia? I was born in Australia, yes. My my mother is Balinese, so mm. um, yeah, my father's Australian. Born in Australia, raised in Australia, went to school in Australia, university in Australia, but back and forth to Bali since, since we were young, yeah. Mm, beautiful. And so you did a, a education and arts degrees that that's right before starting open flow educational center is that is that how you say it is that open flow learning center open flow learning center yeah my bad which looks just absolutely phenomenal so can you take us on that journey of how you you know did your education degree to finding yourself in bali and starting a sure. revolution <laughs> Yeah, well, I like to call it a bit of a, a revolution or a, an educational renaissance, if you like. Mm. But um, it all kind of started back when I really wanted to be over here in Bali. And, you know, I kind of did odd jobs after high school and I really didn't know what I was going to do. I remember doing a travel course. And and why did I do a travel course? Because you could get 75% off flights. <laughs> and I thought that's a wonderful idea for myself and my family to, to yeah. be able to connect back to Bali. But um, got to a point in time where I, where I really looked at university studies. And I, I think I started when I was 24. So mm-hmm. I had to do a six-month bridging course and kind of liked uh, like the experience, not in terms of the social, but just in terms of the thinking side of things and, and yep. opening up different possibilities. So then I went and did a, a double degree, Bachelor of Arts and Bachelor of Education. And in my third year, I remember um, there's a Waldorf school down the road from the, the Arimba campus on the central coast of New South Wales from the University of Newcastle. And I remember going there for a three-week prac. And I was absolutely blown away by how beautiful it was, looking mm. at the artistic element, the quality of music and art, and the way that the way the teachers had such a, a tight relationship with the children. And I thought, wow, I've really stumbled across something quite unique. And when I finished my 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 fourth year, I did a twelve week uh, prac in a kindergarten in a public school. So I, I kind of figured I had a pretty well rounded. I, in terms of education, just from the, the small place that I'm from. Yeah. And then I went on to um, work in the, uh, the public system for about eight months and I had landed a full-time job back at the Waldorf School and then I, I taught there for uh, eight years. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, I taught a class from grade three to grade six and then I took another class on from grade one to grade two. I worked on their um, their board of management also and, you know, I really picked up a lot of things there about what to do and perhaps what mm. not to do. Yeah, just as much learning in the what not to do as what Absolutely. to do. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. And then that kind of led to um, led to coming over here to Bali and 
basically just kind of packing up everything and um, going into the unknown. And over here, I worked at um, an international school called the Green School. Yes, yes. For about a year and a half. Also worked as a class teacher and on their board too. And then the pandemic arrived. And that's when I was, I was offered um, a two year contract to continue on. And I said, thank you, but no, thank you. I want to go out and into the unknown and no security, no safety and start our own learning center. And that's what I did with a couple of, um, couple of colleagues. So they're colleagues that you'd met at the green school. Yeah, one was um, another teacher, that um, Dr. Nicolene, who, who myself and her did a lot of work at the Green School in terms of teacher education training and also um, just with the classes. And another was a parent that we, we um, the three of us got together and our ideas united and mm-hmm. off we went. Amazing. And ha- have you found that working together as a team been like that your your vision is very aligned? Have you ha- found that it w- it's been a, a cohesive experience? Because it can often be difficult bringing a vision to life when you've got lots of people's ideas. Yeah, I think it was it was quite unique in terms of time and space because, I mean, we're mm. not talking about normal situations, are we? Yeah, and I think you guys no. would have experienced the same where it was the, the rapid nature of how we kind of, I guess, bonded and our ideas kind of uh, molded into one identity because I kind of look at Open Flow Learning Center as an identity, not just a business or an independent school. I really look at it in terms of how it how it how it does grow and who comes along and who offers what, and you know, even in terms of the children and the parents too. And you know, our ideas they we were very agile, so we kind of complement each other really well. And I think that's so necessary when you when you move into what is not just a standard business. We're talking about education. We're talking yeah. about, you know, children's lives and yeah. creating an environment in this time and space that is really gifting them um, the true gift of childhood and that is play and freedom within boundaries. It's amazing to be able to find people that can share that vision and, and align so well because the outcomes, when you've got that vision, when you do have that really clear vision, then the decision-making becomes a lot easier because you're all trying to make sure that that, that vision's coming to life and you're putting the children at the forefront. And um, so that must be a really exciting experience to see this grow. How many children are at Openflow? At the moment we have 23 children. Yep. And the model is designed to be more like a lab school. Okay. Because um, we, have, we have some affiliations with um, University of Newcastle in, in New South Wales, Australia. And um, also making connections here to universities in Indonesia too. And the idea is that we we are so independent that we have the freedom to trial things. Yeah. And the wonderful hindsight ability to look back into educational philosophies and look around the world and really pick and choose the best things that really align with us and how we see and how we you know pedagogically see and how we creatively see education and it's all based upon what the children bring to us um, so in terms beautiful. of how they uh, how we lead inquiries how we you know pose mm-hmm. questions and pose provocations and then from from harvesting all the the data if you like or the responses or reactions from the kids is just such a such an encyclopedia of opportunities to explore together and that's oh, really really such a unique position to be in and are the children, a lot of the children expats children or if you've got local children at the school? Yeah, we have predominantly expat children. 
Um, and our families are predominantly based here in Indonesia, in yeah. Southeast Asia, which is really good as a stable basis. We have uh, um, two children that come from the local community, and we also um, hold every Wednesday afternoon as a local space. So all of our I have a um, have a local base teacher team as well. Yep. So every Wednesday afternoon, we have all the the young children and all the youth come um, on a Wednesday afternoon. And for example, tomorrow afternoon, we'll all be going down to the river, going along, collecting as many seeds as possible because we have a big seed saving initiative. Because we know this, wow. uh, um, you know, we need to plant many, many millions or billions of trees around the world to help mm-hmm. soil quality. So that's what we'll be doing tomorrow afternoon and every Wednesday afternoon. It really is based upon English immersion for those children. Yeah. Um, as well as being out in nature and exploring the wild jungle out the back. That's so exciting. So how has your experience then been different teaching in Bali in comparison to Australia? Well, I always thought as an educator in Australia, I always thought so felt so constricted mm. and my time was always taken up by paperwork. It was taken up by programming, planning, and I'm not saying that those things are not important, but you know, in the big scheme of things, there's only a finite amount of time in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And to be able to not have that time to really connect with families, with parents, mm. to connect with, with the children, to connect with, to connect the classes with other classes and other initiatives outside of the, the, the confines of a school. I always found that so constricting and I was always struggling to, um, manage my own time in terms yeah. of creativity and expression of, of what I wanted to allow happen for, for the kids that I taught and the families and also the school that I was working at. So here being completely independent, it's, it's that kind of thing, you know, you ask for freedom, but when freedom comes, are you really ready for it? Because <laughs> That's the second time I've heard that in, a, yeah. in two days, that exact that sort right? of thing. Are you ready for the, the freedom that comes? Yeah, because it is, it's not, it's not, you know, you, you do have to be prepared for that, right? Yeah, you do. And I think you, it, it, it comes back to what you said before and uh, the question you said before about the people you kind of work with or, or mm. collaborate with. And when you have that um, ability to trust in other people, trust, you know, that, that things will get done and people will do their, their job so you can get in with the kids or you, so you can get in yes. with administrative things or you can get in with, with connections coming up, then you really become extensions of each other. And that's what I've really found um, in in breaking the confines of traditional systems uh, or, or even traditional businesses, I think, and being really agile and having people come along into the environment that we can really curate in a particular way yeah. gives us that wonderful opportunity to just make things happen because I think the, the only blockages that really come come from human beings so how do we how do we kind of eliminate that and just create such a frictionless environment so we can just get on with having fun and experiences do you think something like open flow would be possible in australia Uh, you know i've been asked that question before last time i came back to australia i sat in with a homeschooling group um, and a really interesting discussion about okay so how do we break the confines of traditional system we can do homeschooling and that's still kind of regulated but then how do we socialize our children and i think 
there's something that I've, I've said to other schools that we've worked um, kind of consulted with online is that if you can take 10% or if you can take a couple of principles based upon what, what we kind of trial here and the freedom that we have, then that's, that's really significant. You know, yeah. if, we, if we go with this basis of what's voice and choice, where we sit down and we ask the children questions about, you know, certain parts of their day and how they want to structure their day and where they want to apply their time then, you know, that's something that you can apply, uh, you can apply at a micro scale mm-hmm. um, in terms of if it, if it is homeschooling or if they are homeschooling groups or something like what, what you girls are doing there, you know, when mm. you get like-minded people together, when you share those ideas, you empower people to make their own decisions free from um, the constraints of, of, of perhaps what they grew up with. Yeah. And I think that's it. It's, it's um, you know, change doesn't happen quickly when you've had a model in place and legal systems built around that. It's going to take a lot of time to to undo. And and as you say, sometimes it's just about making small changes and then those catching on and people seeing that it's a lot easier and that we can we can undo some of the legis- legislative stuff as well. Um, mm. You know, not, not all that is in concrete. So does it mean that it's a lot easier to work with regulatory systems? per se, in, in Indonesia? Well, it's, it's interesting how you can structure things here. For example, mm. we're structured as a private entity, uh, a private business, which yeah. is in the educational sector. Okay. Um, so in terms of, in terms of uh, I guess, aligning with national curriculum here in Indonesia, mm-hmm. um, because we're an international learning centre, we don't necessarily have to. Yeah. But that's something that we are leaning into because we know that here in a place-based setting in Indonesia, there is great, great need for change also. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, we're kind of in phase one and a half, if you like, going into phase yeah. two. Um, but it is, it is a little bit less confined and constricted as it is in Australia with all the legislative things and even, you know, going down to, going down to the local park and you need to have all sorts of, you know, paperwork done and get the approval done beforehand before you can yeah. gather in certain places. And, you know, as you girls know very well. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we ha- we're learning to work with it because that's yeah, well, the I only think way. That's, that's exactly right. And unless you do, you know, I really have been watching you watching you from afar with, with great interest because unless you do, then everyone will perceive it to be too difficult or too That's hard right. or too challenging. So yeah. you need that, you know, it's, it's the whole bell curve. You need that 10% that are willing to step into the unknown. <laughs> and then, you know, you, you learn the hard way and you, you know, there's a bit of suffering along the way and a lot of sacrifice. <laughs> but, you know, you can sit here and have a laugh about it because, wow, look back exactly. and look at the people, look at the movement that gets created because you've pushed so hard. And I really, right. you know, that's very admirable. Oh, thank you. And um, I, I think that anyone that's challenging this, the way things have been done is, is slowly making headway for everyone else. I mean, like you wouldn't be where you are just like we wouldn't if someone else hadn't stepped into the arena and, and made changes or thought about different possibilities and inspiring people around the world to challenge. And this time now, like, I mean, I'm seeing droves of people exiting the system and thinking outside the box and I think that things are pop- like the, there are learning centres and things in, in Australia just in the last two months popping up out of necessity because of mandates and all sorts of things and mm. things that might actually ch- change quite rapidly um, because of, of how many are just mm. it, because of the, the, the times that we're living in. So it's going to be an interesting year I think 
um, in the education sphere. Fantastic, because it pushes people to really, really look at things more critically. Whereas, yeah. whereas in the past, it's been a little bit, you know, we just go on because that's the way things have been done before. And I think it's really important not to go to extremes. Also, as as in, you know, saying that it's a fight. We need to fight the system, or we need to break free. It is just finding your own freedom within the boundaries or confines of society that we live in and realizing that, wow, you actually do have a lot of room to move. You have a lot of opportunities to create. There are a lot of like-minded people. And the more you go on and do things based upon how you see your children, because this is the big thing that I think parents are, are now responding to rather than reacting to, they can mm. see that their children are not are not fitting into a system which is so old and confined. They can see the development of children over time has changed and shifted from when they were young. Yes. So naturally we need to create, you know, a more personalized, individualized way of doing things and Mm. who better to empower that movement than parents themselves. Exactly. And I, I love the idea when you're working with small schools and small amounts of students, like you must have so much scope to really cater for individual styles of learning. Like you would really know your students well and their families, which is something that I think everyone's yearning for. Yeah, I think the one thing that you can look back on in your own childhood is, you know, those moments where you were actually noticed yeah. and where you actually uh, acknowledged as something, uh, something beyond just another person sitting down in the classroom, you know, or mm-hmm. another person just, excuse me, playing playing in the park with, with your parents kind of around. And I think that is the big thing that we can really gift our children. In fact, I know it is, and mm. that is time and space. And I know how important it is to check in with the kids every morning as they come and, you know, to look in their eyes and to see, okay, it's been a bit of a rough morning or, you know, after lunchtime when, when things get super hot here and they've been down in the river or they've been out in the rice fields that, okay, just need to chill out for a while. You know, just to be able to check in with someone on a, on a personalized basis yeah. rather than just kind of mold into the system. And that's what we've seen from from a lot of our children that have, have joined Open Flow from other schools, that the environmental factor, the environment has, has changed so much. So naturally their behavior has changed so much. They feel at ease. They feel at ease to communicate. They feel at ease to socialize. They feel at ease to engage in learning because they're no longer surviving based upon those, you know, those survival instincts of fight or flight because they don't know when the next, you know, situation is going to come or the next big group is going to come that they don't feel comfortable being part of. So being able to provide space for our kids is a real, real blessing for their their utmost development because now we see them really expressing themselves. We see them, you know, really articulating themselves and musically and artistically. And it's really, really, you know, th- there's a there's a sort of equation you can put to that, and that is environment over time and space. And when you shift those, then you know what that does for us adults when we have to work in a in a in a particular work environment, and when we get home and we can kind of breathe out and just be, you know, we can be ourselves if you like. But when we when we kind of I just eliminate all of those unnecessary um, segregations and just provided in one small environment in a beautiful nature-based setting, then we realize we're, you know, we're, we're quite insignificant in, in, 
in the big scheme of things, yeah. but, but everything actually matters. And, yeah. you know, that comes down to learning those skills um, through other people and relationships. So important and so underappreciated or like just not even allowing opportunities for that to happen is what makes me frustrated with the current system is that, you know, we, we really need to be intentional about creating opportunities for that. And if we can structure the whole thing around that, that being important, then everything else will flow that they believe is important anyway. So um, I also love the fact that you guys take a bit of a different approach to the way that you structure, like what we would say terms here. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you, how, how do you take a different approach there? Well, typically, as as you know, you have full four school terms in Australia, and mm. um, I'm not sure exactly how many school days that equates to. But over here, the international average is about 190 school days, and there's a lot of uh, public holidays here in Indonesia because of um, the variety of religions that are mm-hmm. here. And so, when I looked at it, one of the bases is that I that I set the the seven cycles. So basically there's seven cycles of, they range from five to six weeks. So the idea behind that is that there's no long slogs. There's no 12 weeks, 13 weeks or whatever. And then you have two weeks break and then you try and pick yourself up off the ground again and you try and get the kids up again. And, you know, the whole system has to get into operation mode again, which takes three or four weeks. And then, you know, the cycle goes on and on. So the ideas behind that is, you know, based upon what what is agile principles and that's sprints. So a short period of time, say six weeks, and we have umbrella themes around those um, those cycles that that flow Mm -hmm. into each other. And that's kind of how we run things. And we've just come off the back of a three-week break over the Christmas, New Year's period. Um, And our kids are ready to rock and roll again. And we're, you know, we're into um, our fourth learning cycle. Uh, which we've titled Quantum to Cosmos. And the basis, basic principle of that is, okay, let's look to the smallest um, possi- possibility that we have and let's go to the most infinite possibilities wow. of learning that we have. Um, and that comes off the back of, of looking at um, other cycles in the past too. So basically, you know, mathematically it works out. And in, in, addition, to, in addition to the seven cycles, it gives our Balinese educators a week break over their their most um, the most important religious period that they have called Galungan here, right? Because I was going to say, from a Western uh, colonizer's perspective, I guess the school year here is um, is structured in a way that it supports the economy. Um, and ha- is what kind of feedback have you had from the families then about the way that the school year is structured? Oh, they're so happy because I mean. We live in a beautiful place and I know the place that you guys are from there is so beautiful too. There's so much to explore. There's so much to experience together. Mm. And that's something that our families have really appreciated over time, over this past year, is that, okay, there's a six-week sprint and then they can have a week off with their with their children. They can go away mm. for a little while. They can reconnect. They can just rejuvenate and and, and then come back fully enthused because they're you know, there's not such long gaps in between. And that's something that, you know, I've really been looking at um, the conversations with parents as to assess, okay, is this a a viable thing? Is this what people are wanting? Because it's all good to have an idea, as you know, and and when you actually apply that, it's, it's, okay, wait and see. Yeah. 
And what we're discovering from the energy level of, of the kids and the enthusiasm and they're coming back and, you know, telling all sorts of stories about their break and they're ready to go again. And also parents are like, okay, I'm ready to have a break now. So that's kind of how we play into the, you know, the communal system of taking care of one another. So it's, it's, it's really, it's really been quite an eye opener. And I think, you know, going to your point about you know, in Australia, they're based upon economics. I remember doing some reading about um, why the four-term system came in. And I remember reading something about an independent um, independent uh, entity coming in and doing an audit on, on education there. And, you know, you look at the huge, uh, huge economic factors around holidays now, and, you know, I challenge anyone to try and change that system completely. That's going to be a big one. Yeah, it will be. I mean... At the moment in Queensland, um, the school year has been delayed by two weeks and um, I haven't looked so much into it, but there was um, suggestion that the school year would then be extended by two weeks at the end of the year. Mm. And then I started to see the repercussions, like, you know, the year 12 students saying, you know, we don't want to be finishing two weeks later. Like this, Mm. you know, there's there's so much disruption. Mm. Um, So, yeah, it is a really fascinating concept, but I love the idea of, of mixing things up and we we are always um, having conversations about how we structure our programs as well mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because we are catering a lot to homeschooling families and and the different dynamics and it's an ongoing conversation. I, I think it's an important one to challenge what we accept to be normal so that we can find better ways of doing things because, you know, just because we've been doing it that way for a very long time doesn't mean it's the best way. Um, That's right, yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, as again, you can kind of work out the days mathematically. It's whether or not it fits in with the family. So if you yeah. have that kind of, as, you, as I've said before, that 10% movement, then, you know, you're going to start a bigger movement. So it is, it is doing all of that nitty-gritty hard work, which is so, so valuable for for change because you can't just, you know, it's all good to talk about it for a long time, but when you actually act on those things and you really put it down on paper and you really look at the, you know, legislative requirements, then, you know, there is, there is flexibility there. There is, there is change. Absolutely. Have you had much pushback or negative feedback? Uh, We've had some, I guess the, the most challenging part of, of starting here has been, uh, I guess, landing within the community here. Um, because where we are is it's it's down a dead end street which is barely wide enough for two cars, and prior to us coming here, I guess there wasn't really anything. So it really is village life, and a lot of the people around here, they'll cross the river and they'll go up to the rice fields and they'll work the land in which they which they share as families here. So coming in, um, and you know we've really built quite minimal in terms of structures and old joglo, which is a traditional Indonesian structure repurposed from old teak wood. And, you know, we built an earth bag building from old rice bags filling up with soil and, you know, just some small bamboo structures. Yeah. But even just the change of having international people come into the community yeah. kind of set a, set a few people off. Yeah. And, you know, that, that had, you know, really myself having a lot of conversations with the head of the community and having community meetings. We had events where we invited all of the community to come along and facilitate information sessions. And over time, um, with, with careful curation and conversation that we've kind of, um, you know, we've, we've found a nice happy space, I think. But initially that was the most challenging thing because that kind of, um, you know, potentially jeopardize what it is that we were going to do. So it really yeah. gave us a, a 
clear indication of how, how sensitive things can be and how sensitive we must be to, to other people and other spaces. Yeah, I definitely think that um, and, and and that awareness has become seeing that a lot more, especially when, uh, I guess, non-local um, people um, and people coming from the Western world moving mm. into those traditional spaces, mm. um, we do have to, to come with at that with um, some, a lot of cultural sensitivity, mm. uh, which is which is important. Yeah, I mean, just just coming back to that, that um, you know, there's a lot of local wisdom uh, over here as there is in Australia. And when you engage um, with people in conversations and you pose questions mm. and ask for suggestions and input and feedback, then I guess that's when you have a real collaboration starting to yeah. happen from the ground up, rather from rather from uh, you know from up on high down to the ground. And that's really where we, we had a shift in the community here when we started, mm-hmm. you know, engaging in certain ceremonies and engaging people to do offerings at the land every day and, you know, the, all the important things which culturally are so yeah. important here, embedded in here. Yeah, absolutely love seeing that that dedication and the culture is just so, so beautiful over there. How mm. um, do you, can you speak to, I mean, Bali's, reliant or had has been in the past quite reliant on tourism and since the pandemic have you noticed um how things have had to change for the people there yeah i mean it's changed so so dramatically every every second person you might talk to at the market or so it's 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 pretty much the same conversation about how mm. work has been non-existent and even people uh, going into work and volunteering in order to keep their positions because they know yeah. if they don't do that, then it's, it's, there's a good chance when things do pick up, if they do pick up, um, that they won't be there. So there's, wow. there's not only the financial sacrifice that's, that's, that's happening. It's also, I guess, in the real psychological space about, okay, how do I actually provide for my family? How do I actually uh, look at other alternatives when there are very few alternatives. So, you know, people have gone along the streets in their cars selling things and, you know, it is it is really confronting the more you look at it. Um, so it is all about how you can, you can kind of use this as a catalyst to keep people um, from becoming stagnant. And, you know, for us in the, in the little scope that we have, um, with the big dreams that we have, it's to initiate people into, into action. And for example, what, what we've done here along the river is we got a whole, uh, a whole group of grassroots organizations that are, that are Balinese run and people, um, there's a group called Plastic Exchange over here. And what they've done over the pandemic is they've gone around to communities across Bali. They've encouraged people to clean up their neighborhoods and their own, their own waste problems. And they'll go to a communal area and they'll exchange the trash for rice. Oh, wow. And these are wonderful initiatives that have come on from, you know, people that are obviously more fortunate than, than the majority of the population in order to not only provide for people, but to reconnect people to land and reconnect people to the importance of keeping generational land. Because you see in areas such as, um, you know, Changu and, and Seminyak mm. and Kuta, yeah. these areas that, you know, the generational land is non-existent and now the money yeah. is gone. So yeah. what happens now, you have a whole new loop of, of, of a generation who is struggling to become educated, struggling to um, become employed, and you have this really, really um, interesting, interesting picture of the future. 
So to be able to, you know, be part of a little movement which engages people and young people, youth, university students to be, to remain active, to remain active in terms of mindset, in terms of their physical space, that yes, it's challenging. Yes, it's struggling. Yes, many families are. But if you do come together, which is the nature of social structures here, when you do come together with other people that are, that are active, then something will shift. That is like an energy movement that you, that you have together. And culturally here, it's very strong, but also reconnecting with the land is something that, you know, generations of say parents that are 40 to 50 years old don't have that, don't necessarily have that connection to land. So mm. bringing back their children to the land, bringing back the youth to the land, gives that gives that sense of yes this is this is a place we can take care of and in order for us to be taken care of um then we need to actually you know reconnect with with our with our land and our religion wow yeah i, I it's there's always like through that hardship um that that change can come about and and it's good to see that it can be that positive uh, and that reconnection to land is so like it just makes me feel so hopeful because mm-hmm. um, we, we're starting to see that. I mean, that's something that's really important to us um, at Forest School and know that anyone else that's running outdoor on nature play or any any educational program that, that is outdoors is can see how important that is um, mm. for the children. And, and as you say, like, you know, those people that have lost that connection over time because of just how quickly things changed over there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's I'm 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 glad to to see that there's or to hear that there's some positive changes happening over there. I can only imagine how hard hit they were. Mm. Um, so 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 reliant on tourism. Do you know are people starting to travel back there now, or is it still quite close? Not really. It's it's pretty scarce. I mean, Bali said they opened up three months ago, but there's still no international flights which come directly into into Denpasar Airport. Um, all flights come through Jakarta. There's there's quite a lot of domestic movement which has been um, which has been quite healthy for a little bit of a, a boost for for tourism over here over the break. So you know domestically Indonesia is still pretty pretty mobile, but internationally there's very very few um, very few arrivals and especially into Bali. So what's the what's the plans then for Open Flow in the future? Do you, do you have um, expansion ideas or some goals or some Big dreams to achieve? Of course. Yeah, of course. We've got, <laughs> we've got huge lifelong goals. Hopefully that this will be going far beyond my time here. I'm only 38, but, you know, I, I really I really dig in on, on some things that we can see here. So, I mean, short term, tomorrow we're meeting, a, meeting a, a dean of one of the local universities here and hoping to bridge a connection between the university here and the university in Australia, which will be really cool. Um, that will probably result in having some third-year students from Australia come over and do some practice oh, with cool. us. Yeah, awesome. L- looking to open up a, a research centre here where we have academics come along and do studies um, and also looking to go a little bit into, I guess, the virtual online space yeah. of looking to bring nature in an immersive way to to children who are, you know, in, in suburbia or in cities. I'm looking at, at bringing some content alive in terms of the visual space. And we've just released some our podcasts in Bahasa, Indonesia, in science, and also the story of OpenFlow, doing a lot of multimedia stuff to capture learning experiences through the eyes of the kids and the voice of the children, which I think is very powerful. It is, um, yeah. 
And yeah, just looking to maximize impact at a, at a Indonesian level here in terms of education, having some teacher trainings um, and just sharing as much as we can based upon um, yeah, the goodness that I think that we're doing and, and the amazing people that have come along the way and the families that are that are really the pioneers of of new ways of thinking and self-directing in terms of parenting. So, oh, I can't yeah. wait to come and visit you guys um, when, when things are change. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the next step. I mean, we've connected now and um, yeah. I think your audience is connected now too. So, I mean, it's it's open flow for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really, really excited. It's so, it's so. Ex- I can't think of another word. Exciting to um, connect with with just people around the world and places that I know. Australia has a very, very strong connection to Bali, so I, mm. I think that um, that what you're what you're doing over there and, and things like the Green School, like people really love to see what's going on and, and just the different changes that can be made and people and the possibilities. And, mm. uh, so we're, we're really excited to see, see our relationship grow. Um, we've just got some little rapid fire questions. It's often don't, they're not very rapid fire in the end. Um, just to round okay. off our interview. So, um, mm-hmm. your favorite book of all time or a book that you're reading at the moment that our audience would love to know about. Uh, my favorite book of all time, Jonathan Livingston Seagull by Richard Bach. Oh, Wow. Awesome. I'll add that to our list. I'm always looking for new recommendations. It's really um, cool. Excellent. What do you do to reset after a long, tough or challenging day or week? Well, I definitely uh, meditate is a big thing mm-hmm. um, or I go to the water and I yeah. go for a paddle, go for a surf, try and try and um, wash things away and get a bit of clarity and perspective. <laughs> what is good at cleansing, though? It's a very... Um, Physical way of cleansing, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I get that. Now, um, if you could just change one thing about the education system, maybe even from a more Western perspective or Australian perspective, what would that be? Entrust and empower teachers more. Mm. Give them the autonomy to, to manage time and do what they have ultimately chosen to do with their professional and personal lives. Mm, I love that. I think that's really important. And where can we, where can our audience find more information about your work? I, I know that you've got, we will link uh, excellent videos that you've got. Um, mm. I absolutely adore watching that. Um, so we'll link that, but where can they find out more about OpenFlow? So you can look at uh, openflowlearning.org um, and there's OpenFlow Learning Center on YouTube. Uh, there was some inspirational, motivational videos as well as some learning videos. Um, and also Open Flow Bali on Instagram. Excellent. Yes, so much inspiration to be drawn and to see what's possible. Thank you so much, Peter, for making the time to chat with us at Raising Wildlings, and I can't wait to see what transpires from your vision. Very, very lucky, children. Yeah, I really, really appreciate your time too, Vicky, and as I've said to you in emails, super, super admirable work that you're doing and I think you're really leading the way in terms of um, alternative business and different structures and I think it's fantastic so all the best to you and yours and I encourage more and more people to to jump on that 10% so it comes 20% and then 30% (laughs) and then really amazing things can happen so so really really thank you for your time also and for what you do. Thanks Peter I really look forward to a in-person catch-up sometime in the future absolutely let's make it happen and 
never ceases to amaze me how much inspiration I draw from people who are stepping outside of the box to create new opportunities for children. And I am absolutely here to see where the Open Flow Learning Centre goes well into the future. As for us here back in Australia, we're getting ready to start our term programs back again. So if you're looking for ways to connect your children and your family with nature this term, uh, either in Brisbane or the Sunshine Coast, we have our playgroups, bush kindy, after school programs, homeschool programs, all starting up in the next couple of weeks. So why don't you join us? You can jump on our website, wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash booking to join us for all the fun adventures that we get up to in this beautiful part of the world that we call home. So uh, that's it for today. Until next time, I hope you all stay wild. Mm-hmm.